Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com. Check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with the Seattle Seahawks and OptimumSportPerformance.com's Patrick Ward. Today, guys, Patrick's going to share with us his role with the Seahawks and how he determines what he's going to monitor and the methods he's going to use with the athletes that he's working with up in Seattle. Uh, actually, that's like some really cool breakdowns of how he decided what means and methods to use to figure out how he was going to monitor the guys. And we talk quite a bit about RP as a tool and ways to, ways to set it up, You know, ways to make sure that you're getting the most out of it, um, how it covers so many different bases and just a, a wide array of different things and how it, it correlates very well with a lot of other tools uh, that people like to use nowadays. And uh, how conversation is driven in his position, because obviously in a pro sport environment, it's going to be a little different, especially when you're working within a team, within a team. There's really some fascinating stuff in here, guys, like some stuff that you can take and implement tomorrow with your athletes. I hope you guys enjoy this talk as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Patrick, thanks for being on today, bud. Hey, thanks. Uh, good morning. It's great to be here. Yeah, so let's start out talking about your role with up there in Seattle. Yeah, so um, I'm going into my uh, my third season now here in Seattle with the the Seahawks. Um, the the I guess the title of the role is a sports science analyst, um, but mainly uh, I just do pretty much analytics. Uh, the whole day, uh, and that's across multiple kind of departments um, and, and multiple different projects. Um, in season, it's a lot of uh, probably uh, what you would expect in terms of um, training, monitoring, and, and things like that. But I get to do other an analysis as well, but um, that's probably the, the stuff that you're most interested in, which is the stuff centered around training and uh, uh, weekly preparation and, and things like that. Um, and so basically, uh, what, what I kind of do is, um, uh, try and put in place best practice methods for collecting the data so that it's, uh, kind of as, as clean and neat and tidy as you can make it in the chaotic world of, uh, uh, team sport. And then, uh, I put together the analysis as well and how we look at that data and, um, uh, make sense of it and contextualize it and, uh, and explain it to uh, other people within the building so that they can uh, hopefully utilize it to drive some decisions. That's awesome. So let's first talk about what you individually are looking at when it comes to making these decisions. Yeah. So um, there's lots of tools and, and uh, technologies out there. Um, I think it's probably a little bit of sports science going on mad right now with all the things that are kind of out there on the market 
uh, I, I think we probably it's best to keep things simple. Um, if we think about training monitoring, we want to know something about uh, uh, what the athlete did, external load, so the athlete's actual outputs. Uh, we want to know something about the internal response, so how the athlete uh, uh, tolerated the training session. And then we want to know something about how the athlete adapts over time or responds over time. So, um, the, like I said, there's lots of technologies you can use. Uh, some are better than others. I think one of the main roles for a sports scientist is really to um, evaluate technologies and appraise them and understand things like reliability and uh, validity and signal to noise. So, uh, with a lot of the stuff that we use, I do in house uh, reliability studies so that we understand the error measurement. Uh, we understand the variance that we might expect, the typical uh, error that we might expect. We understand things like that so that we can make very specific statements about when changes are real or when they're trivial or, or within uh, what we would normally expect the error to be. Um, and the tools that we, we mainly use are uh, uh, for the, the training piece. Uh, you know, Integrated microtechnologies are certainly very popular, things like GPS and accelerometer data. Uh, is something that is useful. Um, we use RPE as our internal load metric. Uh, heart rate is is a, a little bit challenging for the football guys just because uh, it's always kind of getting hit and knocked around because there's so much contact. So, um, you know, uh, I, I gave it about a year and a half uh, of doing that, and, and I was just ending up cleaning up a lot of heart rate traces and stuff like that. So it was uh, kind of a, more of a pain in the butt. But the RPE is... Uh, uh, pretty good for that. So we, we use that as our internal load metric. And then uh, the kind of long-term uh, look at the athlete, the uh, adaptation over time comes from uh, just a simple, easy wellness questionnaire of four questions. And uh, and we summate those and we get a, a total wellness score and, and we look at those and evaluate those over time. Um, and, you know, I think I think there's always this uh, interest to collect as much stuff as possible and people want to buy every single technology under the sun and they get excited about stuff. Uh, but in reality, I think um, uh, most of the time that just clouds the picture. And so you, you, you go and listen to people speak and they show you their elaborate dashboard of 20 different things and then you ask them, well, what if only two of these are bad one day and 18 are good and, and you know they might rep- reply with something like, well, we only really look at these three. So then let's remove the, the, you know, get, get all that stuff out of the picture and just focus on those three. And so I think, uh, one of the things that we try and do, or that I try and do is take the things that we're looking at and try and explain them with just excruciating detail down to like every single way you could possibly look at it, understand those metrics, understand everything about them in the context with which we apply. So those are the three main things that we use. We do some stuff with sleep as well, um, but uh, those are the three main kind of day-to-day practices. What are the questions on the uh, questionnaire that you guys look at? Yeah, just a simple energy, sleep, uh, soreness, and stress. Um, uh, there's a, a, a paper by um, uh, Blake McLean and Aaron Coots and Vincent Kelly, and uh, it was in the International Journal of Sports uh, Physiology and Performance, I think it was like 2012 or 2013, um, and it was a paper that was looking at the uh, time course of recovery between different uh, fixtures in, in the National Rugby League, so um, you know, time course of recovery between uh, five days between a game, seven days between a game, ten days between a game, and they used a lot of different metrics. They used uh, 
uh, salivary metrics and uh, jump uh, force plate data, so flight time and contact time type of things. And, uh, and they had a simple kind of five, uh, four, five question wellness questionnaire in there, one through five scale, very easy to use. Um, so that's something that, uh, you know, I think if, if people are looking into that, I mean, it's super easy to do. If you grab the paper, you can probably find it online for free somewhere. Um, and it's it, just just take the questionnaire. If, if you don't have any money, literally all you need is a, a notebook and a piece of paper or uh, uh, Google Docs is, is really easy. That's what I've used in the past. Just email it out and, and uh, the, the athletes respond in the morning. So, um, yeah, something that, that simple. If you can get really good at analyzing it or, or making sense of it, you can uh, hopefully uh, uh, do some real good with it. Of course, you know, subjective measures, the big argument against them is always that people can lie. Uh, you know, players can game the system. Um, and, and you're going to have guys that do that. And when you start to analyze it, you're going to quickly see the guys who always answer for every single day. Um, and, and you either have a conversation with them or you just remove it you know, from their daily thing. And, and that's fine. I think, you know, I'd say if you get the whole team to do it and there's five or six guys who try and game it, you're doing pretty good. Um, so, you know, you're always going to have guys, no matter what you do, whether it's monitoring stuff or whether it's even training stuff who aren't, you know, as you know, you're going to have guys who, you know, I mean, saying that, uh, well, questionnaires are subjective is like saying, uh, well, the guy, the guy doesn't have to squat really hard if he doesn't want to. And it's like, yeah, he doesn't. If he doesn't want to like work out real hard, he probably can go in the gym and sandbag it and you'll get frustrated with him. But that's kind of what you deal with with human beings sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. They, they can fake it till they make it anywhere, you know? That's right. That's right. So uh, let's piggyback on subjective stuff and let's talk a little bit. You, you mentioned RPE yeah. as well. And you found yeah. some neat things with that. So let's touch on that here for a minute. Yeah, I mean, RPE is a really simple uh, uh, metric. So for, th for those that don't know, uh, we use a, the Borg CR10 scale. Uh, this comes out of uh, uh, Carl Foster's work right around like the 1998-2000 time period. There was a paper in Journal Strength Conditioning in Med Science and Sport. And uh, basically, it's a 0 to 10 scale. And it's sort of a, a derivative off of the original uh, Gunner Borg scale, which was like 6 to 18 or 6 to 20, um, basically way of, of evaluating heart rate and the person's perception and then trying to understand uh, the relationship between those two things so that maybe you don't always need a heart rate monitor or, or something like that in, say, cardiac rehab, for example. Um, and uh, the, the way the Borg CR10 scale works is a, a simple 0 to 10 scale. Um, at the end of the training session, the athlete answers. There's some verbiage on there we, we, uh, in terms of like easy, maximal, you know, moderate, etc. Um, if you Google it, you'll find the scale. It's, it's all over the place. We put colors with ours. So um, different things appeal to different learning styles. So numbers, we have colors, we have words. There's pretty much everything there that you need. And um, we get the athletes to answer the question, uh, uh, basically how hard was your workout, uh, at the end of the training session. Um, the typical convention was always that you should wait about 15 to 30 minutes uh, post-training to obtain the person's RPE. Uh, the reason for that was the idea of terminal RPE, terminal rating of perceived exertion, which basically just means that the athlete will give you a rating. If, if you ask them right after the workout, they'll give you a rating of the, uh, the last thing that they did. So let's say you did really hard eight-minute uh, uh, interval training or something, you know, something really, really challenging. 
Um, the athlete is, is going to rate the entire session is, is of that last thing that they did. Uh, whereas if you wait some time, maybe 15 or 30 minutes, uh, they let them, you let them settle down a little bit. They can be a little more reflective. Uh, of course, there's been some other work now that's come out. Um, Aaron Kutz's group has done a little bit of this. Uh, looking at even closer times, so maybe maybe we don't need to wait that long. Maybe we can get it in five or ten minutes and still get the same type of data. And um, obviously, this is very helpful for people in situations like yourself or uh, or us, where uh, you can't necessarily have the guys hang out for thirty minutes after a session. They got to go to class. They got to go to meetings. Uh, you know, media obligations, etc. So, um, so that certainly helps. But uh, we have the athletes answer the question. It's best, if, if you can, to try and get the athletes to anchor themselves to the, uh, to the questionnaire in some way. So w- one of the ways that uh, we used to do this uh, like it with Canada basketball was we had the kids all run a yo-yo intermittent recovery test. And basically, they'd, you know, they'd max themselves out. And once they'd hit that, uh, their two faults, which basically knocks them out of the test, um, we'd show them the scale while they're rolling around on the ground and... Uh, you know, they've just probably hit a max heart rate. So we get that as well. And we get running speed. So it's kind of a catch all. Uh, we show them the, the scale and say, okay, you know, think about how you feel right now on this scale. And then going forward with all of your practices, think about what those practices feel like in relationship to this uh, in order to rate yourself appropriately. So anchor them as best you can to the scale. Um, you know, for us, our, our practices in training camp, the first, you know, several practices are real uh, gut busters. So that's kind of a good way to help them get their bearings. Um, and, you know, RPE, like I said, it, it, it's again, simpler to the questionnaire. It's something simple. You can do it with a Google doc. You could do it with a piece of paper and pencil. Um, it's been shown in the literature to have a good relationship with um, uh, heart rate, uh, which, which is very helpful. And that's why it's uh, uh, often been thought of as an internal load metric. There's been um, some interesting research that has come out in the past several years in collision sport athletes, uh, such as rugby and uh, NRL, uh, NRL is rugby, AFL athletes rather, um, in conjunction with some uh, uh, more externally driven outputs like accelerometer data or uh, collisions or um, uh, high-speed running or things like that. Um, and, and there's, uh, some good relationship there as well. Uh, some of our work, uh, that we did, I put, po- I, at the NSCA national conference, I had a poster, um, looking at the, uh, the RPE metric along with some accelerometer data, uh, in American football athletes. And, um, and, uh, what we did was, uh, we looked at the within individual, um, correlation coefficient. So basically, uh, what we could expect on the individual athlete level, uh, how, the relationship between those two things, and across most of the position groups, uh, except for running backs, was a, a, a little bit challenging. But part of that, I think, is just um, it's such a small position group, so there might not have been enough data. Um, you, you typically don't carry as many running backs as you, as you would, uh, you know, wide receivers or defensive backs or offensive line or something like that. Um, but on the whole, for the team, uh, the within subject uh, correlation was was quite good between the RP and the uh, uh, accelerometer driven data. So um, that tells me that even if you don't have uh, some sort of accelerometer, if you educate the athletes well enough on the RPE and you know you weed out the guys who are going to lie and try and game it, um, you can still have a pretty good objective measure of what took place in training. 
Um, and then you can kind of go from there and, and, uh, and start to objectify some of your uh, uh, sessions without having to worry about um, having lots of technology, which is a great place for people to start to wrap their head around, you know, how do I begin to describe things like microcycle periodization or daily training or daily training for an athlete or a position group. And then, and then a microcycle, and then you know maybe a quarter of a season, and then maybe the, you know a macrocycle the entire season, something like that. I think that whole idea of that grounding and finding, you know, what 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 is that nine or ten like really? Yeah, is yeah, absolutely right. brilliant. Yeah, that's that's always the challenging thing. I think is, um, you, you know, the other thing is because it's perceptual, it's. It's not driven off of sometimes what you as the coach would believe. Uh, and so there's been some research on this as well, like the discrepancy between a coach's RPE and the player's RPE. Uh, uh, Brink and colleagues um, looked at this in, I think it was like 2012 or 2013 as well, uh, in like really high-level um, soccer athletes. I think they were like the 17- and 18-year-old kids at a, at a club. And, the, and basically, they were looking at the discrepancy between how the coach rates a session by watching it visibly and how the players rate the session by actually physically going through it. And uh, the coach tends to um, uh, underestimate how the players perceive the session to be. Uh, and certainly, like, you'll find this to be true because the coach in their mind writes the training program. You know, your basketball coach, he's going to write the, the drills and, and all that stuff for the day with his mind thinking like, okay, this is a hard training session and it's going to be a real gut buster. The thing is that the players are coming to that training session with all this residual fatigue from games and, you know, multiple games and multiple practices. And so that training session that the coach believes is a six or a seven, let's say, let's say a seven, um, might very well be a seven under normal circumstances. But if it's week six of your season and the kids have played seven for the coach might actually be an eight and a half or a nine for the players, which might, you know, actually be substantial and, you know, figuring out what, what changes are substantial. That's really important, but uh, that might be something that's actually really, really meaningful. And then all of a sudden the coach needs to hopefully um, take, take the advice and, and make some adjustments so that you don't cook the kids. But uh, um, you know, that's more to the social science of things in terms of how you uh, help with behavior change and, and help with education and things like that. Well, let's run right with that because we've talked about a lot of really cool things and a lot of things that people, I mean, really, you, you, need, a, you need a pen and a piece of paper to be able to, to implement. But if it doesn't drive a conversation, it doesn't yeah. matter. So how in, in your position... Mm -hmm. does that work? Is that going, you know, are you going directly to a player? Are you going to a coach, a position coach? Are you going right to coach Carol? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So the way it works for us is, uh, I guess similar to the setup is, uh, similar to, um, uh, maybe like Australian sport or something like that, where we have a, we have a high performance manager. So I have a boss, uh, Sam, and, and he's really good. He oversees everything. Uh, so medical and, and strength conditioning in, in our department, he kind of, he kind of, um, aggregates that information and is, is sort of the, uh, uh, connection to Pete, you know, so that Pete just has to talk to one person, get all the information, et cetera. Um, so the way it works for us is, um, I'll do all the analysis. I'll 
produce presentations, and then I'll present all that data daily, twice a day in the morning in terms of wellness, in the evening in terms of what happened in training. Um, and then from that, uh, he'll get the message in terms of, okay, what, you know, what do we need to relay, et cetera. I mean, and that's not to say that like we won't talk to the head coach or we won't talk to other coaches. They'll certainly come down and you know, have conversations and, and ask questions. But um, uh, for the most part, he's kind of the main connection piece between all of that information uh, rolling up just because there's a million people trying to talk to the head coach. So if you have one person, that's kind of helpful. Uh, with the players, um, yeah, some of the players get interested in their data. Uh, so I'll put together reports for them as well. Um, and we'll walk them through it myself or, or one of the other guys working there. We'll walk them through it depending on um, what they'd like to know and talk them through what it means, et cetera. Um, I also will do reports for our medical staff for guys returning to play uh, in terms of uh, using data to objectify the rehabilitation process and then the uh, integration back into, um, into the practice environment. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's more about me trying to get the data, contextualize it, and, and, and uh, uh, put it into something that's meaningful for them to uh, make sense of uh, rather than just hard numbers and, and lots of uh, charts and graphs. No, that's awesome. And I think that in all these situations, there needs to be the one person that everything funnels through because there's so much going on. Yeah, there's just so many voices. You know, uh, sport, whether it's college or professional, is is uh, is chaotic. And everybody has, you know, coaches have an opinion and players have an opinion and the media has an opinion. There's all, you know, there's all this white noise kind of going on around the head coach. And so sometimes... If you just have one person who can can deliver the message, it's a little easier because he doesn't have to hear it from five different people who might say the same thing five different ways, and it might you know get confusing, and the information gets jumbled up. It's like playing telephone with uh, third graders, you know. Oh, no doubt. So, yeah. No, that's awesome. So then, we had Neil from the Dodgers on a couple weeks ago, and he talked about yeah. a bunch of all this stuff. And this one point that he brought up, I thought was fascinating and something that a lot of people who aren't, you know, in, in the league, whichever league it may be, don't understand. But what role does the Players Association have in dictating what you may or may not be able to look at or communicate? Um, yeah, I mean, it, that's always a, uh, you know, the players. Association is looking out for the best interest of the players. Um, like, uh, for example, there's, there was a big article last year about sleep and some of the teams who made things mandatory, and uh, and that kind of rubbed players the wrong way because now you're monitoring them away from the building, away, away from the you know the training facility. Is that root? Is that uh, le legal? Legitimate? You know, whatever. Um, you know, for us, no nothing is mandatory in our building. Uh, you know, and that's that's a head coach's rule. So I, I, uh, I can't or none of us can tell a player that they have to do something. It's, it's by choice. Um, so a big thing for us is how you educate the players in order to get them to have trust in what it is you're doing that you have their best interests at heart. And so, you know, it didn't – I mean, the first year is always rough going. Um, it, was, it was tough. It was a challenge. You know, you'd set out 20 GPS units and you'd get five guys to wear them, <laughs> you know, and, and – um, uh, but as the year went on, that grew and compliance went up, you know, and now I can, I can 
put out 63 units and we can get, you know, um, 85 or 90 percent compliance on all the questionnaires and, and the ones that aren't compliant are because they were running in late and we didn't have time or, you know, you're trying to chase down 63 guys and all this stuff is going on. It's madness. So um, and, and that's in a non-mandatory environment. So we're quite proud of the, uh, the compliance that we do have. Um, without, you know, forcing people to do anything, which is, which is nice because I think the, the players union doesn't probably like when you, when you force players to do stuff like that. So it's been quite good actually. No, that's awesome. Cause yeah, like, you know, Neil was talking about how in major league baseball, like they negotiate that in the, uh, in the CBAs. And that was, to me, that was like, holy cow, that's really a good yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, no, it it's, it can definitely be a challenge. Um, you know, the other thing I think is like that. That's why. That's why uh, uh, another big thing that I talk about, right, is is trying to minimize the things that you you know try to get the few things that you think are really important and just focus on those rather than creating more touch points. Athletes have tons of touch points. By the time they walk in the building, you know, think about if, if you're at a, a club that's trying to do a million things. It's like, hey, okay, walk in the building, lie down, do heart rate variability, spit in this thing, uh, prick your finger, do this questionnaire. Now you got to go to media. Now you got to meet with your coach. Now you got to have a, a, you know, now you have practice. Now you have another interview. Now you have coach uh, or um, you have a, a position meetings. They have a million touch points and you're trying to just gather all this stuff from them. And so to me, it's like, can we have less touch points but be more meaningful with the things that we do collect? Or can we collect things that are sort of part of the scenery, right? It's like the idea of being seen but not heard. Like if I can collect things at practice that they're already doing that can inform us on something that's important without having to ask them to do an extra thing or an extra test, that's really, really valuable um, because it decreases the touch points. It decreases their sort of frustration that can build up with having to always be doing things um because the season you know it gets old you're with these guys a long time during a season all day every day you know you see them every day and so you know you don't want to be that guy who's just constantly there and, and trying to get something etc so trying to decrease the touch points is really really important um and then you know if cbas in in all of the sports whether it's football or basketball or baseball decide like we don't want any more um uh you know accelerometer monitoring or things like that i think it would be bad because you're doing it you know for the health of the player but um if you're really good with things like rpe and we've studied that relationship well enough to know that it's important um we can we can scale back to simpler methods and still know that we're getting good information because now we've had some time to figure out the best analysis to put around it uh, figure out the best ways to collect it and objectify it and report it. So um, that can also be helpful as well. No, and I think that, you know, on top of the idea of having that grounded, this is the pinnacle point, making it as uh, organic as possible with how you're collecting the data is such a huge point. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, if you think about, like, uh, let's say what you, what you do in practice. So you, you probably warm the guys up at, at, in basketball practice. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you have like some section of that warm up that's like standardized, um, you know, that would be something that's really easy to, um, you know, sort of chunk out of the, of your heart rate data or accelerometer data, whatever you're collecting 
it might be easy to chunk that out and use that as sort of a daily evaluation. If you standardize like some sort of shuttle run or some sort of activity, uh, you know, so um, finding those uh, artifacts that can be useful um, in terms of objectifying the process without having to go the step of doing something extra uh, can always be good provided that you, you, you know, you'll get down to the nitty gritty and understand the, you know, how repeatable it is and what the noise is and, and things like that. No, man, that's absolutely fantastic. And Patrick, I think that that is a perfect spot to leave people at here. Cause when we're talking about all of these things, it comes back to two things. You, you gotta have that base to know exactly what these numbers mean. And you've got to have the ability to communicate and talk with people and drive decisions. And I can't, right. Can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us today, brother. This is killer. Oh, thanks. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, yeah, hopefully people will find some use out of it. <laughs> yeah, man. I, uh, there's, there's about 30 minutes of, of gems in here. Thank you so much, my friend. Awesome. Appreciate it. All right. We'll be in touch real soon, Patrick. Thanks. And a huge thanks again to the Seattle Seahawks and OptimumSportPerformance.com's Patrick Ward for taking the time out to talk with us today. Guys, just a ton of awesome stuff when it comes to the world of monitoring. So many things that are so similar to what Kevin said back in episode two that, you know, it, it seems that, you know, the, these are the points that need to be made and the, the situations that arise and what people need to think more about. Limit what you're doing to what you can actually control and use only the information that is going to dictate your decisions. And from there drive conversation, drive education, keep moving forward. <clears throat> Patrick's absolutely, you know, one of the best in the world at what he does, and I'm really excited that we were able to have him on because there was a billion gems in this talk. I, I really do hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you did, guys, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Again, just trying to drive conversation. Would love to hear what you think. Tweet it, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever it may be. Share it out there, guys. Again, just trying to get great information out to all the great coaches out there. And we really do appreciate everything you guys do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.